Entering the Freedom Hut. They're saying the mother of all migrant caravans is approaching our southern border. Trump is saying we may have to shut it down. He's looking for options to stop this continuing invasion. Also, the president says he's going to fight tooth and nail against the Democrats' subpoena that they're putting forward. And also the census question on illegal aliens. We've got that and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I will uh, say this. Socialism is a loser. Socialism is a loser. The stock market and our country, from an economic standpoint, is doing the best probably it's ever done. We're hitting new highs again. We've hit new highs, I guess, close to or over 100 times since I'm president from the time of the election. Uh, Unemployment numbers are the best they've ever been by far. Uh, We have almost 160 million people working today in the United States. That's more than we've ever had working in our country before. We're doing well on trade. We're doing well with China. Things are going good. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. I really wanted to start out today with a reality check. Socialism is a loser, true. The economy is booming and Trump is doing a very good job as president, also true. Where are you hearing that these days? Where is that message being relayed? Uh, and, and you can back this up with the numbers, with statistics. Look at where the economy is. Look where unemployment is. Uh, labor force participation. Entrepreneurship, investment, hiring, the markets, all this stuff. We were told, and you know, you, you do have to step back and remind yourself of this, because otherwise we all, we all inherently find ourselves falling down the left-wing, anti-Trump rabbit hole of rabid maniacs who will tell us that the president is, is a Russian asset, he needs to be removed by the 25th Amendment, he's a racist, he's a rapist, he's a traitor, he's a... These people are completely nuts. When Trump won the election, remember that that glorious day, that glorious time, just thinking about it, it's like slipping into a warm bath. Remember when that happened and they were telling us that Trump was going to destroy the economy and he had no idea what he was doing, that there was no way he could be the president of the United States. He wouldn't finish two years on the job, they would say, or you know, he'd never, he wouldn't finish out his term. Didn't want to be president, didn't want to stay president. These Wrong, wrong, wrong. Lies, lies, lies. You have to make an active decision in this country to pull yourself back from this, separate out from the propaganda for a moment and say to yourself, country's actually doing well. President Trump's actually doing a good job. The people that are saying that he's obstructed and he's a criminal and he's campaign finance and the porn star payoffs... This is all their personal emotional issues masquerading as important news. 
None of that stuff is, is, is important or even really noteworthy for any of us. Oh, he may have paid somebody off and didn't put it on a campaign fund. You know, it's the most the most tortured reading of a statute imaginable to even get to the possibility of Trump with a a campaign finance violation. Really, this is what they're hanging their hat on? Obstruction that anti-Trump zealot Bob Mueller didn't say he would even charge. You know, this is what I I hate this construction now. Of, well, he didn't charge Trump because he couldn't. He he could have said. I would have charged him, but you can't because he's president. He very well could. He didn't say that because the case is so weak. It's laughable. It is laughable. Although all this stuff, it's whenever I say it's laughable, it, it's worthy of ridicule, but it's not funny. These are not the same things. Um, I agree with uh, Rudy Giuliani on this one. The, the case for obstruction is incredibly weak. Play clip eight. If you're innocent of the underlying crime, then everything they're talking about is an effort for him to defend himself. So if I tell somebody that I'm innocent, please testify on my behalf and say what happened. Am I obstructing justice or am I defending myself and and serving justice? Indeed, it was an unjust investigation. So how can you be committing an injustice when you are thinking about he did not even do it, thinking about ending an unjust investigation? That's a thinker. That's worthy of some more time, some more thought. Uh, but you, you know, I haven't had this. I haven't had this reset for us in a while. Where I say, look at what's going on in the country. You know, we're not embarking on some big war that we don't need to be fighting. We're not surging a hundred thousand troops in Afghanistan for purely political purposes, for the optics of it. Because remember, Obama and the left, Iraq war bad, Afghanistan war good. Send a hundred thousand additional troops to Afghanistan. Lose a whole lot more of our brave men and women in uniform in Afghanistan as a result of that surge that was unserious from the Obama administration in terms of actually stabilizing Afghanistan. You know, you, you just look, look at all the different things that are happening right now. What really is the objection the Democrats have to this president? I mean, I know they have a lot of them, but what you, you have to push aside. It's not that he can't do the job. It's not the country is, is in terrible shape and people can't pay their bills that used to be able to. And the no. Their objections to him are stylistic. They're personal. They're cultural. They're, he, they don't like the way he talks. They don't like the way he acts. They don't like the way he refers to the press. They don't like the way he talks about illegal aliens or he talks about radical Islam. Or This is all, these are stylistic objections. They dress their hatred for the president up in these in this fancy terminology. They'll say, "Oh, it's it was a direct attack on our democracy." You know, Russia a direct attack on our democracy, and Trump undermines institutions. These are just bombastic ways of saying "orange man bad." This is what this is what you would get if you walked into any, you know, one hundred one level international relations class here in D.C. Because usually kids that study international relations are just slightly less left-wing than people that are studying sociology. And you said, you know, well, what, what do you not like about Trump? They would all, just like, like parrots, repeating what they've heard, say, oh, he undermines our institutions. Oh, he, he, he's, our democracy is hurting. Our democracy is under assault. These are phrases that people who don't think very much think sound intelligent. But they're not. They're largely meaningless. They might as well be the chants that are 
repeated by community organizers in the streets. You know, whose streets are streets? No justice, no peace. You know, what does this even mean? This has all just been, the, the, the press comes up with new narrative day after day just to give some form, to create some underlying basis for their just just guttural hatred of this president. They want, they want to find a justification for the widespread mental illness that is pervasive among Democrats called Trump derangement syndrome. Because I, I'm here in D.C., people don't even want to talk to you if you're a Trump supporter. People think there's something wrong with you in this town. You know, we have to, like, move around like we're, you know, members of some colony set up for people with a contagious disease. Like, no one wants to get too close to us. Those who at least know when we're Trump supporters. You know, this is, this is not normal. This is not the way it's supposed to be. I don't want to engage with Democrats when I'm out and about in my, in my day-to-day life on any issues relating to the administration because they don't want to really talk to me about health care. I mean, they don't want to talk to me about how to deal with immigration. They just want to go wild with virtue signaling about how Trump is so bad and Trump is evil and obstruction and Russia. And it's all, this, is just, this is just like verbal diarrhea from them all the time about how much Trump is terrible. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. They, they, they can't actually tell me a single thing that Trump has done that's terrible. What, having a meeting with Kim Jong-un? That's so terrible? He didn't collude with Russia. Only complete lunatics think that that happened now. Not, and as I keep saying, and please don't let this slip from your mind, it's not just that Trump didn't collude with Russia. It's that nobody in the Trump campaign, which was uh, a whole operation with a whole bunch of people in it, nobody colluded. Nobody conspired with Russia. Not one person. I wouldn't even think, I mean, that's not even that hard to do. You get one low, you know, you get somebody like a, a Page or a Papadopoulos maybe to agree to do something. And, you know, even if they didn't take an action necessarily, they might have tried to make the case that they're part of the conspiracy. None of that. They hate him. So they hate Trump so much because he wants to secure the border because he wants to stop what we're now being told is the mother of all caravans from coming into the country. Trump said 20,000. Other people say 10,000. Well, the numbers ebb and flow depending on how successful they think they'll be when they get to the border and what the processing will be like for them. The president wants to enforce the laws. If Trump is a racist and a bigot and a xenophobe for being the chief executive officer of the United States government who believes the laws on the books should be followed, what does that make Congress for not changing the laws in the books? I don't see Democrats willing to say that, yeah, you just show up, you get to stay here, sounds great. That's the situation that we have, and that's what they want, but they won't put that in writing. They won't be open about the fact that they want this country to be open borders. But, you know, when you look at the objective measures, when you look at what the president has actually done, what the government is doing, they are giving people more of their money to keep, you know, taking less from... Ev- everyone got a tax cut. And, they, you know, this is another point of the, the propagandistic mendacity of the left Everybody got a tax cut who pays taxes, basically. I mean, you know, I think it was like 8 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 or something like that. Average household got over $2,000 in a tax cut this year, and people didn't even believe it because the press lied to them. Because they know that people having more of their money, having the federal government take less of their money, that's a popular thing usually. So how do you deal with something that's a popular thing? Just say it's not happening. Convince people, oh, you're, 
your refund is smaller this year. Yeah, it's because you have more money every pay period. But they don't apologize for that lie. This is the Harry Reid school of politics. Say Mitt Romney hasn't paid taxes in 10 years. Well, that's just a total bald-faced lie. Yeah, but did Mitt Romney become president? Boom. That's how Harry Reid plays the game. That's how all the Democrats play the game. This is what we're up against. This is why I have very little patience for the Mitt Romney school of how to deal with the left where you say, well, you know, maybe if we're a little nicer to them and we just try to work within the, you know, within the confines of the institutions and we do a little. No, no. These people are nuts. The stuff they're talking about, letting the Boston Marathon bomber vote in elections from prison, retrofitting every building in the country to deal with a problem that's not even a real problem, which is that CO2 in the air is going to kill us all. But this is wacko stuff. This is nuts. I don't want someone who's going to come along and say, well, where can we meet in the middle? Because there's no meeting in the middle with these people on these issues. There's no meeting in the middle with them on abortion for all nine months of a presidency, including afterbirth abortion. There's no meeting in the middle on the Green New Deal. There's no meeting in the middle on amnesty for illegal aliens. There's no meeting. I mean, just go down the list. Their identity politics now have gotten so out of control that I, I, I have a hard time believing that they're as crazy as they're telling me they are. I mean, it, it is now considered dehumanizing in some leftist circles to say that a man, a man can't have a baby because that's, that's transphobic now. I'm not making this up. I, I'm not a biologist. I'm not a scientist. But I promise you, I would win an argument with a biologist or a scientist about how a man cannot, in fact, have a baby. If there are leftist scientists out there that want to take me on this, I'm happy to do it. A man cannot have a baby. I, I am certain of this. Cannot carry a baby, cannot, can, does not have egg, cannot. But this is now, uh, in the leftist orthodoxy, you are dehumanizing people by saying that. The most basic truths about our society are under assault. The load-bearing walls of civilization are getting kicked by these leftist radicals day in and day out. Meanwhile, Trump has survived, his administration has, has been able to endure this two-year-long ordeal of, of psychosis manifested through the special counsel, which was, the whole thing was a witch meant to get Trump. And not only did they not get him, but today I'm bringing you news of the economy's really strong. Things are actually going pretty well in the country. Trump has not made a single disastrous political, uh, disastrous policy mistake as president, which is a lot more than you can say for a whole bunch of other presidents. Not one. I'm not saying it's been perfect. I'm not saying there's not criticism. Of course, I criticize him a lot on the show, but you, you have to, I do this and I'm hoping you, you see where I'm coming from in this. We have to create a reality-based ecosystem of ideas where we're not accepting the, the propaganda that's being spewed at us all the time about how terrible this is and how Trump is awful and obstruction and he's a criminal, he's a crook. This is not, this is not real. This doesn't matter to normal people. This isn't based in, in, in facts and, and honest adjudication of what has happened in this presidency. This is a psychological defect that people are spewing all the time. They should be thankful that the president takes the approach he does on a lot of these issues. They should be thankful the president wants to secure the borders, build the economy, not engage in stupid wars. But they're not. Instead, it's, you know, orange man bad. 
hide the women and children. Orange man, orange man is you know giving a speech today. It's terrible. He's the worst. These really, I don't know. What we're we're going to have to put a lot of people on on some strong stuff to get them to calm down. We'll be right back. We've got a robust partnership with the Department of Defense, and they helped us uh, repel th two attempts by a caravan to enter the United States by helping us fortify ports of entry. Uh, that, that's been an absolutely essential partnership. So do you think you need more troops there? We do. I think the president's been clear that family separation is not on the table. And, and again, this was a zero-tolerance prosecution initiative that was targeted at adults violating the law. They were always intended to be reunited. And really, a better system, as I've said many times, would allow us to uh, detain families together during fair and expeditious immigration proceedings uh, and getting actual immigration results from court. So that, that's what's missing from the current uh, situation. It's Kevin McAleen and a DHS took over for Kirsten Nielsen. He's right. The situations, I mean, it's <laughs> he could probably use a little more gusto when he's talking about it, but to say this about family separation, the policy was not let's just separate people from their kids at the border for fun. That was not the policy, even though the way the media talks about it, you might think that was the policy. It was. It is an illegal act to cross our border illegally. <laughs> okay, It is a crime to cross our border in violation of law. When you commit a crime, you will be processed as somebody who has committed a crime. And whether you are an American citizen or anyone else in this country, when you do something that is illegal, you get separated from your children. You get processed. You do not get to bring your children in with you. So, yes, that is that is part of the punishment that you deal with from the violation of the law. Now, because of what happened, that can't be done anymore. But the because of the outcry against it, I would just say that you'll notice the Democrats don't want any penalties. They don't want anyone to suffer for coming across the border in any in any way. In fact, some Democrats have already started to come out and say that it just shouldn't even be illegal. Uh, what are we supposed to make of that? And by the way, I think a lot more of them believe that than are willing to say it. I'll talk more about what's going on at the border with this caravan of what they now say is 10,000. And you have the courts trying to stop Trump from coming up with solutions to stop the invasion of illegal aliens into the country. And the courts are making this very hard. We'll get into some of the specifics coming up in a moment. So Mexico's tough. They can stop them, but they chose not to. Now they're going to stop them. And if they don't stop them, we're closing the border. They'll close it. And we'll, we'll keep it closed for a long time. I'm not playing games. Trump says he might close the border, but maybe a Ninth Circuit judge will say, oh, the president can't do that. The president has no power. Apparently, the Ninth Circuit does not deign to give the president of the United States. That's where we are. Latest here is on the so-called remain in Mexico asylum policy. Now, keep in mind, this is going through the courts right now as we have a caravan of at least 10,000. It was 20,000. That's a lot of people heading for the U.S.-Mexico border. We also have a video that people have seen now of a woman and child being taken to the border by heavily armed men, men with uh, looks like AK-47s who clearly are coyotes working for the cartel. The cartels are making hundreds of millions, now I'm sure billions, billions of dollars off of these human smuggling operations. And think of all of the misery and death and despair that they're able to inflict on Mexico and in this country through the sale of their opioids, folks, as a result of that extra cash for all their operations. People will say this isn't a national security issue, this isn't a law enforcement issue, don't know what the heck they are talking about. 
But you have a caravan of 10,000 now on the way to the border, and you have the Trump administration trying to do what it can to stop the continued influx of illegal aliens in the United States who are exploiting asylum laws. Now, you know, I also have a particular, having spent time in the Zathri refugee camp in Syria where people were fleeing because their house was bombed and men from either uh, from either the Islamic State or the Assad regime said, if you are here tomorrow, we will kill you and your whole family. That's asylum seeking. And they were living in tents in the desert and being told by the Jordanian government, you don't get to be citizens. We're just going to let you stay here so you don't die. That's what asylum looks like in a lot of other places. In our country, asylum is now... I'm from Central America, and the situation there is not great economically, so I would like to just skip the entire immigration line, lie to your federal officials, and be in your country forever. Thank you. And oh, by the way, once I get inside, I'm going to join the political party that will tell me that you Americans, you all owe me stuff. Because my country's messed up because of what you've done. This is what's happening now. This is our version of asylum policy. This is the Democrats, the left, and yes, even a lot of Republicans. So... Trump is trying to deal with this, and that is how we get to the remain in Mexico policy. Now, this is an asylum policy where when somebody uh, comes to the border, and it's actually technically called the Migrant Protection Protocols, and the administration's been rolling this out slowly. The, the basics of this are that you are, when you want asylum, if, you, if, you, if you're caught crossing and then you say you want asylum— you get told to go back to Mexico and wait your turn in court in the U.S., and then you can come back. Uh, this is a, similar to a, a third safe country agreement, which is what we have with Canada right now. Because this would then at least—now, this still means they get due process. It still means that migrants get their day in court. But what it doesn't mean is they can pretend they want a day in court— when what they really want is, oh, sure, I'll see you in court in three or four years, and then gone. Interior of the United States, never to be seen again. Skip the whole, skip the whole immigration process in about two days. This gets rid of that. Doesn't that seem like a good idea? Doesn't it seem like closing this enormous loophole, which is the reason we have, you know, entire sports arena-sized caravans, walking up to our southern border and saying, hey, we all want to claim asylum. I mean, can the I, this is a real question. Can the entire can the entire country of Honduras show up and say they want asylum here? You know, what if a million people show? Well, there are going to be a million over the course of this year. You know, but what if 100,000 show up at one time? Do we just say, yeah, just come in, we'll figure it out. If that's not a problem, why do we even have immigration laws? I can never get answers from Democrats about this. Why even have immigration laws? All you have to do is show up and say you've got a credible fear. I mean, the, 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 the willingness of Democrats to play stupid on this is really offensive. They know what's happening here just as well as you and I do, but they act like it's, you know, not some big deal. You know, oh, they just want asylum, man. No, they don't. They just want to come to the United States, and they're exploiting the goodwill and good faith of the American people and breaking our laws to do it. Oh, Buck, they haven't broke the law. Actually, they have because they've crossed illegally. That's one. And then two, the moment they don't show up, or the moment that they are not deported, when they lose their, you know, in court, then they are breaking our laws. And that's where over 90% of them are headed for one of those outcomes. So now what happens? Oh, well, Trump tries to come up with a way to stop this. 
But guess what? Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, based in San Francisco, uh, put a hold, um, or rather heard arguments Wednesday on the administration's request to put a hold on a federal judge's ruling earlier this month that blocked the policy. So a federal judge blocked the policy, and now the Ninth Circuit three-panel, three-panel, three-judge panel, rather, has heard this case, and we're going to find out very soon here whether they agree with the administration that they can keep doing this, or they are going to strike this down. I'm going to tell you right now, they're going to strike it down. And when you find out the reasoning, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, two of the three seemed very sympathetic to the migrant position here. Judge Watford said, you have an obligation not to re- return them to a place where they would face persecution. How could you set up a rational system to comply with that obligation when you won't even ask the person if they have a fear? Oh, it's too dangerous for the migrants from Guatemala to be in Mexico now? Now Mexico is a... Does all of Mexico get to come here? I mean, this is just crazy. I mean, I'm sitting here and I just wonder, is there no limit to the Democrats... You know, insidious lies when it comes to the border, when it comes to immigration. I think the answer is no, that they have no limits. They'll just say whatever they have to say at any moment in time. They are letting our sovereignty slip away. In fact, they're they're egging it on. They're advocating for it. They're preventing us from doing anything about it. You know, we keep we're standing next to Democrats while watching the our house, the sovereignty of, you know, or, or rather the. American sovereignty, if it is a house, it's like it's burning down and all we want to do is grab some buckets and some water and Democrats are saying, no, 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 I don't want the house to burn down, but put that bucket down. That's what they do on the border. That is their approach. And the Ninth Circuit is going to do just that. We'll be right back. There's a broad U.S. consensus that we need to find a way to protect dreamers. But as your question uh, brings out, there are over 10 million people who are undocumented immigrants in this country who don't fall into that category. And the reality is we can't have comprehensive immigration reform that works unless it addresses the status for those 11 some million undocumented immigrants. So what we need to do is make sure there's a pathway to citizenship for them, too. A pathway to citizenship, my friends. Here we are, early in the Democrat primary, and we are already hearing about a pathway to citizenship. This this is not a surprise to anyone, I am sure. I have been telling you for a long time, and it has been the case since the Obama administration, the, the, the unholy triad of the Democrats' status takeover of our country and the eradication of constitutional protection and individual rights, the the unholy triad that they have in place is uh, health care that the government runs and divvies up and gives to you. As And really just that will then even expand more into all out, not just socialist medicine, but socialism throughout the economy because of the size of, of health care as a percentage of the economy and, and so on and so forth. Uh, number two on this is green energy climate, because that also goes toward the overall takeover in socialism. But the whole, you know, cap and trade, uh, carbon emissions, CO2, climate change, hysteria, all that stuff. Environmentalism as a pathway to socialism or uh, a, a, a hyper uh, a, a, a hyper hysterical. I guess all hysteria is hyper, but you know what I mean? 
an overwrought hysteria around the environment. That's pro- And then the last one, which is what I'm trying to get to here, is amnesty. If they get that, the Republican Party is dead. It's all over. Think about the numbers. And, you know, this is I don't need to hear from people who say, oh, but Buck, they can't vote. Right. Their children can vote. Their children's children can vote. And I, I understand this. If someone told me that, well, you got a, two political parties, one that says they're going to give you a lot of free stuff. And oh, by the way, they're the ones that really like you. And they gave your mom and your dad the right to stay in the country, even though they broke the law to get here. And there's another political party that believes in the rule of law and doesn't promise you free stuff that they're not really going to give you. Guess who I'd vote for? Let's just be honest about it, right? I mean, if if you're in that position, that's what's going to have Democrats know this. And they're very good at being cynical. They're very good at exploiting whatever they can for political advantage. Um, But a pathway to citizenship for illegals is just a fancy way of saying amnesty. And amnesty is the very top of the agenda if the Democrats manage to take back the presidency. In fact, I think that they'll try to do it through administrative means. They were already, for those who scoff at that, they were already preparing to do that in the last administration. Obama was going to have the Department of Homeland Security give IDs and work permits, not just for DACA, but for DAPA, for the parents of the people that were brought here. So first it's, well, let's not blame the kids for what the parents did. And then it's, you know, this is for illegal aliens. And then it's, well, let's not blame the parents for what they did for their kids. Who wants to guess how long it is before it's, well, let's not blame the relatives of the parents of the kids. I mean, it just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. Went from, you know, 1.7 million to 3 million to 5 million to... It's, it's, all, it's all heading in the same direction. The left fundamentally does not think that there is anything that is anything wrong with illegal immigration... And in fact, as we know, they benefit very strongly from continued illegal immigration. It, it, is, it is to their advantage. It is uh, to their great political strength for illegal immigration to continue on in, in you know, vast numbers, which is what's going on right now. I mean, the country's in the midst of an illegal alien invasion. That's happening right now. Trump can't stop it. The courts stand in his way. I've been talking to you about it. I've been trying to raise the alarms and get people to pay more attention to it. But just at the end of the day, we're not stopping it right now. The courts are against law. Forget about being against Trump. The courts are against the rule of law at the border. The media is against rule of law at the border. Democratic Party is against rule of law at the border. I mean, it's just too much. Too much arrayed against the Trump administration on this one uh, up to this point. And I know people, I, I've been very frustrated because this is, this was supposed to get better, not get worse. And it's worse now than it was during the Obama years. Now, Obama created the circumstances in some ways that led to things getting really bad now, but it is worse now than it was even in, in the, uh, certainly in the second part of the Obama administration. It is worse. So we have to we have to look long and hard at what's going on here and be honest with ourselves about this. But, you know, Mayor Pete, who has just like totally stolen Beto's tuna sandwich from like right out from under him, like Beto totally can't win. And that's so sad for him because Mayor Pete is like the young, hip guy that the Democrats are so into. Uh, You saw today that uh, I think it was the Texas Tribune had some story about how the 
the police that were at the scene of Beto's drunk driving accident. Oh, it turns out that maybe Beto did try to flee the scene, which would really add a layer of, uh, of disrepute and ignominious decision-making to what Beto did on that day. Uh, and you might say to yourself, well, hold on a second. Why, why are we hearing about this now? Why wasn't this? Why, where, did, where were these officers before? Oh, you mean that the press wasn't totally invested in getting to the truth of Beto's DUI when he was the, the great you know, liberal Gen X champion of the left to defeat Ted Cruz? Because he just like wanted to open his heart and Ted Cruz doesn't have a heart because he's so mean. Uh, now we find out. Oh, why do we find it out? Because he's a little more disposable. And I think that the press actually wants him to step aside now. I think a lot of people in the press think that Beto is an empty suit or an empty rolled up blue button down because that seems to be the Beto uniform. And they don't want him hanging around. They don't want him to be uh, involved anymore in this primary, or at least not somebody that should get much attention. They'd rather have it be Mayor Pete. Much better resume. He's LGBT, so at least there's some component of him that's diverse from the perspective of the left. They like they like Mayor Pete better, and it makes sense. It does make sense, man. Better didn't even have his he didn't even have his 15 minutes, man. He he was here today, gone tomorrow. But amnesty is the plan. It always has been the plan. That's where this is heading. That's what they want to do. Do not forget it. Do not let them pretend that there's some other plan here. That is what is at stake. And they all, you know, once they get amnesty, it's irreversible. One of the problems being conservatives is that we're always trying to push back on liberal insanity and try to defend constitutional rights and, and norms. And we're, we're trying to, to preserve and conserve what is good in this country. Liberals manage to get stuff that just never goes away, you know. Create a huge program to give people free stuff, never goes away. Give people amnesty, never goes away. Liberalism is unfortunately, I mean, the leftism seems like it's forever. Conservatism is always a temporary win. I, I know that's kind of a bummer to say out loud, but I think it's increasingly the case. I think we just have to look at what's been going on and say, yeah, that is, that is the deal, folks. So, all right. So I, I got to talk to you about the census. Speaking of immigration, because this ties into it, the census is going to be skewed and is skewed because there are illegal aliens in large numbers, millions and millions of them in this country. And they are, because all persons are to be counted under the constitutional directive, they are counted as well. But that, what that means is that Democrats benefit from illegal aliens very directly. In fact, I would make a case that it is foreign interference in our election because you have foreigners, which is what illegal aliens are, who are being taken into account. And people say, oh, Buck, well, you're supposed to count everyone. Yeah, but they're not supposed to be here. We keep skipping past that. They're not legally entitled to be in the country. So Democrats are benefiting from illegality. I'll get into the specifics of this, but sure enough, we've got a court that, you know, the Supreme Court had to hear about this this week. You got lower courts that are just trying to be hashtag resistance against Trump. It's a total mess. Ninth Circuit's involved. They're a clown show. We'll get into this and a lot more stuff coming up. And uh, Greg Jarrett will join next hour, too. So stick around. That's the fundamental point of the census is to count every person who is in the United States, uh, whether they are here legally or not. That's not the point of the census. Mm -hmm. Now, the question of citizenship has many other aspects to it, uh, some of which uh, deal with uh, 
rights uh, to, to vote, other kinds of uh, rights that a non-citizen would not have. The fight over the census, my friends, the fight over the census. Uh, Democrats are so dumb. I mean, I, I'm going to walk you through this, of course, because it, it, it sounds at first a little like, oh, we're going to fight over the census now. But no, 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 it, it, it matters. Sure enough, it does matter. This is important. Democrats are being dishonest. Their arguments are not in good faith. And I will walk you through it so that we are all very clear on just what's going on here. Uh, yes, there is a constitutional mandate for a census. It happens every 10 years. And in this case, the big fight is whether or not there can be a question about immigration status on the census. Now, the census questions are determined by the executive branch of the government that that has been the case for a long time and in fact a question about citizenship was on the census from 1820 to 1950 so 130 years of just fine to ask about citizenship Uh, so that was that's not not some big surprise all of a sudden Um, but now we're being told some really crazy stuff like Former Obama Attorney General Eric Holder has said that the census constant, I mean, the census citizenship question is, quote, unconstitutional and irresponsible. And it's supposed to suppress the count in minority communities. The Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee, Michelle uh, Malkin pulled some of these together today on a National Review, did a great job. Fumed about the political stunt that unfairly targets immigrant communities throughout our country in an attempt to silence immigrants and benefit Republicans. No less a constitutional scholar than actress Alyssa Milano, whose decrepit chihuahua urinated next to my foot when I was interviewing her. That was interesting. Called the census question a, quote, attack on immigrant communities and our democracy itself. These people are all idiots, okay? I don't know what else to say. On this issue, they are out of their minds. The whole objection to asking about citizenship is that they think that it'll mean that there's an undercount because you have people that won't want to participate and so you won't get the most accurate information. The, that, that's a theory. It's, it's never been tried out. There's no evidence for this. It's just a theory. Now you may say, Buck, well, why else do they oppose this? Why do we have this problem? Well, Wilbur Ross, who was involved in this, um, has gone before a judge in the past, and they've been the judges have been fighting. It's a Ninth Circuit situation, of course. Um, but they are saying this is an administrative law challenge, essentially, to what the executive branch can do. Because usually the executive branch, which means the president, which means Trump, has discretion over like what que- you got to ask a census, but the, the the founding fathers didn't say what questions this, and you know you got to count people, but what else can you ask them? And count them in what ways? So usually the executive branch gets to determine that as long as it's universally applicable and there's no you know there's no obvious bias or some other problem with it. And asking about citizenship, you would think, is an important bit of data for the government to know. Uh, but here's the problem. Initially, Wilbur Ross said that this was about enforcement of the 
Voting Rights Act. And that's why. And that and now they're challenging and saying, well, Wilbur Ross and the Trump administration, their motives for the for the citizenship question in the census are bad. Therefore, even if they would even if another administration would be allowed to ask this question, the Trump administration can't because Trump orange man bad, basically. It's the Ninth Circuit. This is Ninth Circuit jurisprudence. Trump, orange man, bad. So I think that's important for folks to know that this is yet another instance of even if the president technically has the authority to do this, this president, according to Ninth Circuit judges, does not. This president does not have the full powers of the presidency because he's Trump. And there are judges that take this position. They took this position on the uh, so-called Muslim ban, the travel ban, right? That maybe this would be okay for another president, but it's not okay for Trump. This is not jurisprudence. This is just Trump derangement syndrome as explained by somebody who wears judges robes. This is insane. But there's also a very important issue of the struggle for power that goes to the the. Uh, the very heart of this entire issue. And that is that the, the census is used in the divvying up of House seats based on the population headcount. So Democrats want to make sure that the census includes illegals. Keep in mind that no one really thought of illegals as a thing to be concerned about at the time of the American founding because there was no welfare. There was you know, not all these state services. If you were going to hack out a living in the woods for yourself, you know, God bless. Right. If you want to build your own little farm somewhere, go to it. Um, but, you know, now, obviously, we've got over 20 million non-citizens living in the country. And at least half of them, according to government figures, are illegals. I'm telling you, we've got over 20 million illegals living in the country and then 10 million non-citizens living in the country as well. But Democrats want, and this, this is what really goes to the heart of this. I mean, on the one hand, the legal challenge is what, what is normal for a president doesn't count when it's Trump. What a president can, to, can do isn't what a president can do if it's Trump that's doing it. This is now a, this is a real position in Democrat lefty jurisprudence. This is, you know, the president can do it, but, but Trump can't. Because they really think he's not the president. I mean, they can't get past this. They really think he's illegitimate or that this is a nightmare and they're going to wake up any second. But then on the other side of it, um, we want to know how many illegals are living. First, and the, Oh, here's another time when we could find out about illegals, couldn't we? We could use this data to get a better sense of oh, the Democrats do not want us to know how many illegals in the country. Because it's 20 million plus. It's not 11 million. I've been telling you this time and time again. And anyone who says otherwise, you know, they don't know how that. I mean, this is the voluntary census data is what gets us the 11 million. So if we don't even, you know, we don't have a, if we don't have a question about citizenship is, you know, where, where are we getting this from? Um, but then you get to the Democrats, and this is really at the, at the center of the whole issue. Democrats politically in very important ways benefit from their power their power grows because of illegal aliens because of illegality because of law breaking in this country democrats as a party are more powerful this is from michelle malkin's piece today the center for immigration studies determined that in the 2000 election cycle the presence of non-citizens illegal immigrants temporary visitors and green card holders caused nine seats in the house to switch hands california added six seats it would not have otherwise 
Texas, New York, and Florida gained a seat. Indiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin each lost a seat. Montana, Kentucky, and Utah each failed to secure a seat they would have otherwise had. And then she quotes Joseph's story with his prophetic admonition. Quote, if aliens might be admitted indiscriminately to enjoy all the rights of citizens at the will of a single state, the union might itself be endangered by an influx of foreigners hostile to its institutions, ignorant of its powers, and incapable of a due estimate of its privileges. The founders knew that aliens admitted indiscriminately was not a good thing for the country. But Democrats know that for their purposes, the more illegals in the country, the better. It means that these population centers, especially around sanctuary cities, are even more uh, able to determine the political future of a state. And they want to make sure that, one, we don't have real data on all the illegals in the country, and two... We want everyone to be counted without knowing who's being counted so that illegals can tip the balance in the House uh, in favor of Democrats. That's all this is. That's all this is. And it's just a nonsense ruling so that, that they're looking for. I mean, this went before the Supreme Court. We'll see what they say. But up to this point, the Ninth Circuit's just been a joke on this. Essentially, Trump is a bad man, so Trump can't do this even though the president can. It's crazy. If you want to litigate... Go after the DNC, crooked Hillary, the dirty cops, all of these things. That's what should be litigated because that was a rigged system. And I'm breaking down. I am breaking down the swamp. If you look at what's happening, they're getting caught. They're getting fired. Who knows what's going to happen from now on, but I hope it's very strong. But if you look at drain the swamp, I am draining the swamp. There's really no reason to comply with all these requests when we have the Mueller investigation. We have already spent 30 million plus of taxpayer dollars in 22 months and 2,800 subpoenas, 500 witnesses, million pieces of documentation uh, to try to get to the bottom of this. And indeed, Director Mueller did. The executive branch, the president himself, never interfered, never impeded, never obstructed that investigation. In fact, made available all these people from the White House and, and from his campaign, as you know, all the documentation. Stopping, that's not stopping Democrats from wanting more. Well, it's going to cost them. It's it, going to cost them what is it political cost currency. Them? Is the president willing to, to use executive privilege here? Possibly. President's in a fight here, folks. The good news is that the president is a brawler. And when he gets cornered by insane Democrats, he's often at his best. In fact, I think that the one the president has to just let it let loose and defy the conventional wisdom on how he should handle his political opponents. That's when he is really in the zone. I mean, whether it's dealing with the fake news media or talking about, you know, crazy Nancy or low IQ, whomever and all that stuff, you know, that you know, shifty shift. That's when President Trump is in the zone and Democrats they're they're going to focus much more on this, on the politics of attack and destroy, instead of presenting a worthwhile and inspiring message to the American people to get them to vote for them. You know, they're just going to promise free stuff and say Trump is Hitler, basically. That's doesn't matter who the nominee is for the Democrats. That's going to be the platform. And that's also why there's such a focus right now on the subpoenaing of all these different figures that have already spoken to the Mueller, uh, the Mueller team. And we're going to have uh, Greg Jarrett to join and give us a bit of his legal analysis on all this, because this is going to be a 
legal fight. One of the primary tactics that the Democrats use against Trump is really just lawfare. Whether it's the Ninth Circuit Obama appointee judges who think that they have some right to overrule really any aspect of executive power. I mean, whatever the president, I'm just waiting for a Ninth Circuit judge to say, oh, well, the the president can't pardon that person because we say so. But wait, I thought the presidential pardon is a power that he has and it's not judicially reviewable. Eh, Well, we're reviewing it. Ninth Circuit's going to review it. I mean, the Ninth Circuit's a joke. Unfortunately, it's powerful. And what you get are these universal injunctions that come down. So you get some forum shopping, and this ties into the census question. This ties in uh, directly to all the biggest problems we're having with immigration in a lot of ways. So that every time the executive branch, every time the White House, President Trump, tries to do something to fix the border, some left-wing wackadoo judge comes along and says, nope, can't do that. And their reasoning, it's almost like there's no, there's no pretense of it being rooted in anything that has to do with the law. They'll just say, well, you, you know, uh, yeah, the president has the authority to do that, but this president's racist, so that means his motives are bad. So he can't enforce immigration law because he's racist. This is like the legal analysis you'd expect from a five-year-old. You know, I don't like you. You're a stupid face, so you can't do that. I mean, this is really what the Ninth Circuit, well, a lot of the left-wing activist judges come up with in their opposition to Trump, and I just think that it's, you know, time that we understand really who we're dealing with on the other side. I also think that we should consider uh, removal proceedings. Judges can be impeached too, folks. And by the way, there there are still rumors. I don't know if they're really going to do it, but there are rumors that the left would like to try and, yep, you know what's coming. They would like to impeach and remove Kavanaugh from the Supreme Court. I don't know if they're going to do it. I'm just saying... It is talked about in left-wing circles. I know a lot of leftists here in D.C. I, I, I hear what the the progressive zeitgeist is in any moment, and that's something that they have not given up on. Uh, they still think, and they're going to say that it's because of the, uh, the allegations, but it's also that that's the Merrick Garland seat. You keep hearing this as though like Merrick Garland has some chair inscribed for him in the Supreme Court. It's just not, It's just not reality, but this is what they come up with. This is what they think. Uh, this is how they handle it. And so this subpoena fight that's playing out now is going to be decided, hopefully, by judges that are, are not completely out of their minds. Um, but this is also where the precedent, I think, is squarely on the side of the president. I mean, executive privilege is pretty sweeping. And in fact, there is a, a previous uh, DOJ policy that was written in 2008, I think, by Attorney General Mukasey who said that just because you comply, this had to do with the Scooter Libby Valerie Plame special counsel, which was a farce, by the way. They pretended it was about national security. That was a lie. Valerie Plame was not in danger. Nobody, this was, that was all, the whole thing was just a, it was a joke. It wasn't, wasn't funny because it tried to ruin Scooter Libby's life over it in a desperate attempt to uh, get Karl Rove or maybe even Vice President Cheney in criminal jeopardy. Um, But the special counsel in that instance, uh, Patrick Fitzgerald doesn't strike me as a good guy at all. I think has really abused his power and is a is a you know a partisan Democrat headhunter uh, going after people for political purposes. But in that instance, the special counsel was denied. Uh, or rather, once the special counsel had finished, uh, 
the position of the Department of Justice was that the, co- the Congress couldn't just say, well, we want everything the special counsel had and we want access to everything and we want to uh, bring in people for witnesses and anyone that waived executive privilege to comply with the special counsel can't have executive privilege now in front of Congress. So that, that DOJ policy, I mean, I just read it last night, so I, I know it's there. It's from 2008. You could say, well, Buck, that's not a law. But yeah, but you know what? Neither is the Flores decree. It's not really the law. It's the administrative law. A big problem we have in this country is that the administrative state is effectively a lawmaking body now. It's treated like a lawmaking body, and it has usurped a lot of congressional authority to come up with policies, decisions, regulations that have the full force of law, even though no true lawmaking body has written the law. It's just the people that happen to be in charge in one place in government say, yeah, this is how we're going to do it. And then that's the expectation that everyone's going to say, oh, okay, well, I guess that's how we do this now. We got uh, our friend Greg Jarrett joining us a second. Oh, he's going to take us a little deeper into the subpoena fight here because this is this really is going to be a legal issue, a legal argument. You know, can the can the uh, Trump administration win on this? Uh, I would just say that you got to keep in mind back on June 20th, 2012, the oversight committee voted 23 to 17 to hold Eric Holder, the then attorney general and President Obama's self-described wingman in contempt of Congress for not releasing documents relating to Operation Fast and Furious. And uh, this was the, I believe, the first time that a uh, that an attorney general was held in contempt of Congress. So this is where this is all going to head, folks. It's going to be a big legal fight. We got our man Greg Jarrett's going to walk us through that in just a moment. Stay with me. The subpoena is ridiculous. I thought after two years, we'd be finished with it. No, now the House goes and starts subpoenaing. They want to know every deal I've ever done. Now, Mueller, I assume, for $35 million, checked my taxes, checked my financials, which are great. I read where they interviewed 500 people. I say it's enough. Get back to infrastructure. Get back to cutting taxes. Get back to lowering drug prices. I say it's enough, too, but unfortunately, the Democrats won't listen to me. Maybe they'll listen to our next guest, though, although... Maybe not. We've got our friend uh, joining us now, Greg Jarrett. He is a Fox News legal analyst, also author of the very excellent Russia Hoax, a book you can find uh, on Amazon and still well worth the read, my friends. Greg, uh, thanks for making the time for us. Buck, great to be with you. And tell me about the subpoena fight now. So here's what I'm seeing. And this is getting down the legal weeds, but this is going to be a big deal. It's going to take a little time for this to work itself out, it seems. So Democrats want to just essentially redo the whole Russia investigation slash special counsel obstruction probe. They just want to do another another year and a half of this uh, leading into the election. And Trump is saying, nah, I don't think so. Uh, we're actually going to fight you on this stuff in court. And the, the biggest argument I'm hearing is, well, because Trump waived executive privilege when it came to the Mueller probe, he cannot exert executive privilege now when it comes to congressional subpoenas. What say you, sir? Well, that's uh, a mistaken argument. He can invoke an executive privilege at any time. Uh, and in, in, there are no limits to it. Um, you know, it, it, is, um, it is a wrong argument to make to, for Nadler to say, well, Don McGahn talked to the special counsel 
that's a waiver of the executive privilege, so he's got to talk to us. No. McGahn was an employee of the executive branch as White House counsel. He talked to the special counsel who's an employee of another executive branch, the Department of Justice. So in her agency and department conversations, doesn't waive the privilege with respect to uh, divulging executive information before Congress. It's okay for people in the executive branch to talk to each other. Um, there's no need to invoke the privilege. But uh, with respect to Congress, it's a long-established privilege dating all the way back to George Washington, who first invoked it <laughs> with respect to his conversations with Alexander Hamilton. And so it, it, the president can invoke it, and I doubt very much, unless you're hiding crimes and you, it can be proven, you can't uh, pierce the veil of executive privilege. So how long will it be before we can see if the president, if, if the White House's arguments win on this one? I mean, is this going to just drag out for months and months, or can this be expedited? Well, each and every subpoena will have to be litigated separately. Uh, and, you know, the federal courts will look at each and every one of them uniquely. So it depends on the arguments presented by the House of Representatives uh, in issuing the subpoenas and, you know, the Department of Justice and the White House counsel in asserting executive privilege. So, you know, it's hard to say the pace and the outcome of each and every one because they're all different. And as for the possibility of consequences here, uh, Eric Holder, famously, at least, although I think the media is all of a sudden forgetting about this, Eric Holder was uh, held in contempt by Congress for refusing to turn over documents relating to Operation Fast and Furious, documents that have still never seen the light of day under an executive privilege claim. Congress said uh, this was not acceptable and that the way that he handled this was unacceptable, and there was a, a contempt vote that was taken in one of the committees. What, what do we take away from that? I mean, does that set a precedent that matters here? Well, what... What you take away from it is it is a slow, laborious, and uh, time-consuming process uh, to try to enforce a contempt uh, vote by, by Congress over the issuance of a subpoena and executive privilege. I mean, it, t it took years, and in fact, by the end of it, Eric Holder was no longer the attorney general. He'd left, left his uh, position, Loretta Lynch was. So, uh, you know, most of this will not get concluded as it works its way through higher and higher courts until after the 2020 election. So, you know, uh, the, the president's in the driver's seat on this. We're speaking to Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst and also author of The Russia Hoax. Greg, on the tax issue, uh, Democrats have sounded very confident that they're going to be able to get all of Trump's tax returns and see all of his stuff. Uh, White House obviously is taking a different position on that. Who do you think wins when push comes to shove over the issue of whether Trump's taxes can remain protected as everyone's income taxes are supposed to under law or whether they're going right. to be revealed to Congress because the Congress says they want them. Well, with respect to the to the first subpoena that was issued by the Ways and Means Committee, uh, there's no uh, legislative purpose that's stated uh, for that except to say, oh, we, you know, the chairman said, we want to see whether the IRS is really doing its job properly which is the most 
ridiculous and, and frankly stupid explanation I've ever heard from a chairman, but this chairman isn't particularly uh, brilliant. Um, and that is, that'll get laughed out of court. He's got to give up a legitimate legislative reason to subpoena this particular individual's tax records, the president's tax records. If he wants to see if the IRS is doing the job properly uh, with any American, he can, he can go in and investigate the IRS. He doesn't need to subpoena a particular specific uh, individual's tax return. So that one's, uh, he'll never, the chairman will never win on that one. And as to the president's legal team and just the, the positioning that people today are writing about how this is now legal trench warfare, that everyone should just hunker down and prepare for a, a barrage of fights over these various subpoenas and the information requested and the demands to appear. And does Trump have the right people around him? And does he have the right approach right now, which is just dig in? He has the right approach, and he has a very solid team uh, in place. And I think in the end he'll prevail. And this will boomerang against, you know, Democrats. I think Americans have said, wait a minute. We had an FBI investigation. We had a special counsel investigation. Senate intel, House intel investigation. Four investigations, uh, soup to nuts beginning to end. And they all pretty much found the same thing, no collusion, uh, no obstruction of justice, notwithstanding the smear in volume, volume two of Mueller's report. Um, and so, I, you know, to continue to harass this president with endless investigations, especially on the subject of uh, collusion with Russia, um, I, I mean, I, I think that the president's doing the right thing to say enough's enough. Greg, any predictions for what comes next? Speaking of the Russia collusion investigation, uh, your book title, the good news is that it's uh, accurate based on the special counsel report. Uh, unlike unlike people that wrote books called Proof of Collusion, you went with Russia hoax, so you don't have to change the title because it was right. But what has to happen now? I mean, I, I've been pushing for a long time. In fact, I asked the president and advocated to the president that he should uh, declassify the FISA. And, and I, I'm also not persuaded, as somebody who used to work with a lot of FISA, I'm not persuaded that the sources and methods concerns that just because it's in a FISA doesn't mean that people are at risk or we're going to lose some sensitive source. I think you should just declassify them and we should see what really went into it. But what what, what would you advise for the next steps to get to the the other side of, of the of the coin here, which was how did this whole thing get started in the first place? You know, Democrats want to just replay what we've already seen with Mueller. I want to know how we even got to the Mueller probe in the first place. Well, and William Barr, when he testified before the Appropriations Committee uh, last week, uh, said pretty much the same thing. I, you know, I want to know how this ever happened. I mean, how is it that uh, people were spied on uh, and it appears as though uh, the FISA court was deceived and vital inf information withheld. I mean, that's a fraud on the court. I think he's going to take a serious look at that. The people who signed off on it are James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Sally Yates, uh, Rod Rosenstein. Um, he also wants to look at and has said he will look at the origins of the FBI's investigation of Donald Trump that was opened in January 31st of 2016. As I, you know, as I write in, the, in my book, Chapter 5, they violated their own regulations in launching that investigation. 
there was uh, no criminal predicate, uh, which is exactly what uh, Barr testified to uh, last week. So, you know, I think those are the things that need to happen. It's going to be interesting in the next 60 days when the inspector general comes out with his report. I think you'll find shocking uh, levels of corruption uh, at the FBI and the Department of Justice. And I think that'll be in the IG's report. Uh, And I think when the president declassifies the documents you were talking about, I think America will uh, be shocked even further at uh, the corrupt acts by people, especially at the FBI. You know, it's interesting. All those people are now gone. They were either fired or they resigned in advance of getting canned. Uh, And that pretty much tells you that the entire Russia hoax was politically motivated and should never have happened. One of the dirtiest tricks in American history. Greg Jarrett, everybody, Fox News legal analyst, author of The Russia Hoax. You should buy it if you have not already. Greg, thanks so much for talking to me, my friend. Good to have you. Buck, great to be with you. Team, we'll be right back. Impeachment is a difficult decision. Some say Mueller's report was an invitation for impeachment. But we have just a short time until the next election. And... If impeachment proceedings go forward, and they might go forward, I think this country will be spending an inordinate amount of time on impeachment and nothing else. And I don't think we can afford that. I do believe that impeachment is one of the most divisive forces, uh, paths that we could go down to in our country. But it's a facts, the path of fact-finding takes us there. We have no choice. But we're not there yet. Not there yet, but might have no choice. I I break with some of my conservative uh, colleagues and and media buddies on this issue. I I think that they're going to do it. I really do because let's put aside for a moment whether impeachment is wise. I don't think Democrats can help themselves. I think that right now what you're hearing is them laying the groundwork for essentially claiming later on that what they were doing was not, in fact, always going to be impeachment, right? That, that, that this was, oh, no, 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 we're just going, I mean, you heard it from Pelosi, we're just going where the facts are on this one. We just say, what additional facts do they need? <laughs> can we just, can we take Pelosi at her word for a second? They just had the, the you know, federal government equivalent of a very thorough physical exam. I mean, they, they gave the whole thing. I mean, this was this was the investigative equivalent of the colonoscopy, my friends. I mean, this was really looking for everything. And now they're saying, oh no, we have to do more to find out the facts and then we'll make a decision. This is this is unserious. This is just fundamentally unserious. We understand that they want to impeach this president. Because their left-wing base is full of crazies, and those crazies hate the president so much that even just, keep in mind, what does impeachment even do? It's really just a censure from the majority Democrats in the House about how much they hate the president. I mean, you're seeing Democrats go forth openly now, the so-called legal experts, which that's a, this has been a bad period for legal experts, my friends. You see what they've been saying about Russia collusion, among other things, 
And it's like they have no idea what they're talking about. But they're saying that high crimes and misdemeanors means anything that Congress says. Well, if high crimes and misdemeanors are not in any way, shape, or form uh, something that can be defined, if it's just whatever the majority in the House says it is, well, that's just ridiculous. Because <laughs> then all you're doing is having a vote in the, in the House, in the Congress, that's along party lines for, we don't like this president, so we're going to impeach him. You know, this is... You're seeing this theme. It keeps coming. You know, every every now investigation, you have to have impeachment proceedings. You have to have a special counsel. And, and the Democrats use this lawfare much more viciously and unfortunately more effectively than Republicans do. Because they don't care how dishonest the whole thing looks. They, they don't care what they've done along the way in order to undermine the president, what, what legal norms they've broken what good faith they have thrown by the wayside. They don't have any good faith. I mean, and this is why Trump knows this, which is why I'm glad he understands that this is a straight-up bare-knuckle brawl and that there's going to be no quarter given by either side here, politically, politically, speak, um, <clears throat> politically speaking, that this is going to turn into who is left standing at the end. And everything Democrats can do in the meantime is just going to be meant to undermine Trump so that there's a Democrat. They don't know which one it's going to be. We'll talk more about that coming up in a few minutes. But they just want there to be a Democrat at the end of this thing. But I just love this. Oh, the facts will determine whether there's an impeachment. No, that's not what's going to determine whether there's impeachment. That's, that's actually not what's going to happen. It's just, does the left demand it? You know, is there enough? Right now, there's this focus on who the who the candidate's going to be. I think that also affects this conversation a bit. Is it going to be somebody who's a little bit more aggressive in tone? If, if someone breaks out of the pack and is the true front runner and that person, I mean, Elizabeth Warren's like, I want impeachment. She sounds just like Hillary, by the way. I want impeachment. Uh, if Elizabeth Warren all of a sudden gets, you know, a, a wind at her back, in a, which is not going to happen. She's out. But, you know, if, whatever, any candidate. And that candidate wants impeachment. Guess what? Democrats in Congress are going to comply. Harry Reid is giving them good advice. Focus on the election. Don't focus on impeaching Trump. But they're not going to do it. I, I, I'm, and I know that the conventional wisdom says they won't do it. Uh, I'm sorry. They won't impeach. I think that they won't focus on the next election, and they will. They will go to impeachment proceedings. They can't help it. It's Trump, everybody. Trump broke them. They can't handle it. They're crazy. Ah, that's my astute analysis of this situation. We'll be right back. We're fighting all the subpoenas. Look, these aren't like impartial people. The Democrats are trying to win 2020. They're not going to win with the people that I see, and they're not going to win against me. The only way they can maybe luck out, and I don't think that's going to happen. It might make it even the opposite. That's what a lot of people are saying. The only way they can luck out is by constantly going after me or nonsense. Joe Biden is probably the best chance they've got, and he doesn't have a chance. They're probably, I mean, Joe Biden and Crazy Bernie and, and, uh, and Mayor Pete, and we get three white guys, two of them are brontosauruses from Jurassic Park, and that isn't going to sit well with the rest of this party, which has gone so far left. I don't think, you know, Biden's putting off this announcement. I, I, I don't know how badly he really wants this. And you have to really want this if you're going to have any chance of winning it. 
I uh, mostly agree with Rush there, and I agree with everything that the president said. The, the Democrats, all the stuff we're seeing now is about 2020. All the, oh, it's oversight investigations. It's so, it's so transparent. It always makes you think, do they think we're all idiots? Do they, do they believe that we're all just a bunch of complete buffoons and, and morons? Because why else would they take this position that what they're doing has nothing to do? Oh, it's, it's not politics. It's, it's congressional oversight. It's protecting the Constitution. Yeah, right. No, it is not. No, it is not. But uh, here we are now with the Democrat field, such as it is. And and I agree with with Rush that I, I don't think that Biden has a chance. I don't know if Biden is the best chance they have, though. I think that that may be getting a little ahead of where things are. I I think if you have to pick between Biden and Bernie right now, I think that Bernie has a better shot. I, I know he's a socialist. I know it's crazy, all that stuff. But Biden has never been a national level political winner. I mean, he just got. He was in the right place at the right time when Obama needed somebody that kind of just fit the bill, you know, just needed somebody with a little foreign policy experience, some gray hair and, you know, put him on the put him on the ticket. Didn't matter who Obama's VP were. You know, that's always the thing about vice presidents. They really exist almost so that the pundits have something to talk about, at least in the election cycle. Go, oh, what is this vice president bringing the ticket? I don't think anybody really cares that much about the vice president. I really don't. And it's not a knock on Mike Pence or any other VP before, uh, VP before him. It's just it doesn't move. The, I, I'm pretty sure the, the data actually bears me out on this. It doesn't really move the needle one way or the other. No one says, oh, well, now because of that person's vice presidential pick, I think that I'm going to vote for them. No, it doesn't work that way. But Biden couldn't get over like one or two percent when he ran for president. And Biden's never been somebody that excites the American people. But I think here's the here's the pitch. If I had to make a pitch for Biden, it would be, and you're some you're like, Buck, don't do it. Don't make a no no, but I'm just saying this is Biden's selling points are the following. He for Democrats represents a return to the Obama golden era. Right? So he'll really just be positioned as a continuation of the greatness of the Obama years. And also, he is going to be positioned as a return to some degree of, quote, quote, political normalcy, right? So, oh, now now things go back to normal because Biden is going to be the president of the United States. Because Trump, as the left believes, is in a has created a post-normal political world that we are in an entirely new environment now where all the old rules don't really apply and all the old institutions and the things that Americans depend on to make them feel safe and warm at night in their beds. Uh, those have all been rocked to their foundations by Trump, blah, 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 you know, hysteria, hysteria. Uh, but that's all what Democrats say. I mean, he, he is the establishment candidate. This is also why Biden and Kamala Harris really are fighting in the same lane, because she's just an establishment Democrat. No big ideas, no big personality, not a lot of charisma, but, you know, good enough to be the figurehead for the Democrat Party. You know, good enough to be in charge of things while the left wing agenda is enacted uh, behind the scenes or not even behind the scenes in all the scenes. Uh, The left wing agenda is what the Democratic Party is all about. But Biden's just he's just not. I don't know how to say this. I don't mean this in a mean way. I mean, he's just not a winner. It's just not going to work. 
there's not going to be some thrill. The, the reason that Biden is where he is in the polls is you got a very fractured field. And you have a Democratic Party that's gone just to, to Wackoville with their policies, with what they're supporting. You, know, you, had, you, had, you had Bernie yesterday talking about giving the Boston Marathon bomber voting rights while he's in prison for murdering people in a terrorist attack in Boston. I, I, you know, it's just that just doesn't sit well with me. Why is Bernie even thinking about this? Do we really care if a few people who are on death row uh, for doing heinous things don't cast their ballots? Is that does that really undermine democracy? Apparently, Bernie thinks it is. So that's another selling point, I guess, for Biden is he's not as crazy as Bernie. Play 16. It's going to be tough for Donald Trump to call Joe Biden and the Democratic Party led by Joe Biden socialists. And Donald Trump's weapon is to take attention away from his putrid record and scare the American people that we're going to bring socialism to the to, to Washington. He can do that maybe with some of our other candidates, but he sure as heck can't do it with Joe Biden. I don't even think that's really true. You know, I know Biden's not as much of a commie as Bernie is. Why you got to call me a commie? I'm a Democratic Socialist. Uh, but the Democratic Party is now embracing. I mean, the Green New Deal is a, is a socialist is a socialist agenda. It is. The Green New Deal is just green socialism. Uh, Medicare for all is yet another step toward just it's just single payer, which is even closer to socialized medicine. And then the various tax plans that are being proposed by Democrats are, you know, also trending in that direction. So maybe Biden himself doesn't seem like a committed socialist, but there's certainly plenty on a on a policy level to chew on that tastes like socialism. <laughs> what does socialism taste like, Buck? Hmm. Bread lines. So we'll have to see. Uh, you know, but but Biden not being Bernie is not that much of a selling point, because I think that Bernie, remember, it really, you know, we're going to have all this talk about what the whole country thinks. It's not what the whole country thinks. It's what a few hundred thousand people in Florida, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, maybe Colorado. You know, there are a handful of these states with swing voters. You know, who are they going to uh, trend towards? Who do they think has the goods? But I, you know, I, I don't think it's Biden. I really don't. I don't think you're going to see Biden at the end of this. He's too old, too stale. And the whole hair sniffing thing is really going to come back to haunt him. People say, oh, Buck, but Trump has this really, all these allegations against him. I'm sorry. Uh, Trump isn't on, isn't on photograph after photograph in public, like putting his hand on weird places with young girls and sniffing women's hair and kissing their heads and being a total weirdo, okay? Trump isn't on photo, on video doing any of that stuff. So this is not, the, this is, these are not comparing apples to apples. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't think Biden can win, but I don't think Biden's going to be their nominee. That's where I, I come down. This, which is also why they keep delaying this announcement, because it's going to, this announcement is going to be like the fire festival of presidential announcements. A lot of, woo, and then a lot of, oh gosh, this stinks. It is a difficult question that I pose to you. Who's the worst lawyer in America? Michael Cohen or Michael Avenatti? Uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough one. I don't know. You can make a case either way. I mean, they're, they're both. I mean, Cohen has already 
headed to prison. Avenatti has two federal criminal cases against him, including one in which he is accused, has not yet been proven, and I'm sure Mr. Avenatti is litigious, so we'll say it is alleged, because it is alleged, that he essentially siphoned off a multi-million dollar seg- uh, settlement for his own use that was supposed to go to a client of his that is a paraplegic. So Avenatti is almost cartoonishly uh, corrupt and unethical. But then again, so is Michael Cohen. And this was almost hard, hard to believe that this guy would do this. But, but he has shown, uh, shown up today in the uh, Wall Street Journal where it, it is reported that he had a conversation with Tom Arnold. Now, I, I'm never, I was never really a Roseanne fan, so Tom Arnold was kind of on the periphery of my knowledge of people in pop culture and media. Uh, I do think, to be fair, he was actually pretty good in True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I've never seen him in anything else that I thought he did a good job in, but he was pretty good in True Lies, uh, which is a fun movie, a ridiculous movie, an utterly ridiculous movie, but fun. I enjoy it. I'm not, I'm not here to just, just trash every movie, although that seems to be a pattern. Uh, but, Co- but Michael Cohen has been speaking with Tom Arnold. Tom Arnold is somebody who's looking for like the missing tapes that will end the Trump presidency. He's one of these tape truthers who thinks that there's some tape of Trump that's going to say the things that finally will be beyond the pale and we will no longer be able to look past Trump's uh, personal failings or his racism or his whatever it is. I don't, and no one really even knows what it is. It's just this is what we're told, that there are people looking for this stuff. Well, why am I talking about Tom Arnold? Because Michael Cohen, the president's lawyer, and Trump a, a, a not just a fair criticism, one that we all have to accept. Trump has put some of the stinkiest stinkers around him in very prominent roles. Uh, he does not pick the best people. That is not true. That is not an accurate statement. I'm not saying he doesn't have some of the best people, but some of the I mean, if you would you can argue with me on this if you want. But Rudy Giuliani himself was like, yeah, no, there's some clunkers. There are some there's some bad stuff that the bad people that Trump brought in. Maybe it's out of personal loyalty. Maybe it's because he can't get some of the people he wants because the price of working for Trump has been raised so high intentionally by the Democrats and the media. You essentially forfeit your right to be treated like a normal human being if you go work for the president of the United States right now. That That's the way the Democrats have set this whole thing up. But Tom Arnold has this relationship of sorts with Michael Cohen. I know this is so weird, guys. I understand. This is what to look. It's late in the show. I just thought I'd tell you about this with Michael Cohen. And Tom Arnold recorded a conversation with Cohen in which Cohen said that he pleaded guilty to some basically BS charges. And that was interesting to hear. And the reason... Uh, the reason that he gave for this was one, they had him on campaign finance stuff, but more importantly, which, you know, I think he says that because that's what he, he's trying to curry favor with his, his handlers, with the Democrat prosecutors that have, uh, some of his, you know, some his future in, Oh, we, we have the recordings. Oh, this is going to get better. Thank you. I wasn't sure if we had them all lined up here. So here's Michael Cohen being recorded by Tom Arnold, formerly Roseanne's husband. I don't think still Roseanne's husband, right? Uh, talking about what happened to him and all this other stuff. Oh, my. 
get ready for the human wreckage. Play 17. I lost my business. I lost, you know, everything. My insurance, my bank accounts. All, all, for, all for what? All, all for what? Because Trump, you know, had an affair with a porn star. That's really what this is about. Yep. There's no tax evasion. And the HELOC, I have an 18% loan to value on my home. Right. How could there be a HELOC issue? That's now. right. That's right. Right? That's absolutely it's a, right. It's a lie. So, you know, he, he blames Trump. But he also says in this stuff that he uh, he got hit with charges that he shouldn't have been hit with. But I think that's he he won't say this because his jailers might overhear it and, and he'll get in even more trouble. But they were trying to just completely just take the fingernails off of Michael Cohen. I mean, they were just trying to just put him through everything they could so that he would flip and then some that he would not just sing. He would compose. He would come up with new and exciting charges against President Trump that the president's political opponents could use against him. And, you know, this is where this is where you got to ask the question, if that's the approach they took to Michael Cohen, I'm pretty sure that's the approach the special counsel and or the spinoff investigations, which is what the Cohen one is, uh, fall into that category, too. Uh, but but Cohen has this weird complex. Look, he's he's not an ethical guy. He's not a good guy. But he has this weird complex where he thinks he's the good guy in all this. Play eighteen. I had a mission that I needed to um, fulfill, and I needed to get the truth out there. And and very hard when you know you spent ten years taking care of somebody and their family. And you, look, I, I always knew you know who he was and what he was and so on but it didn't really matter because he's a small microcosm of new york real estate it's very different when you start looking to seeing what's happening now in the country right in the world yeah because you know trump is undermining democracy gonna destroy the country i mean it's like cohen is is pleading here he must know he's being recorded right i mean this is the kind of stuff it's like uh cohen is trying to just get one last pat on the head from the prosecutors who are Democrats who hate Trump uh, and and the judges or the judge that's going to pass a final sentence on him. I think he's facing three years and he's going to turn himself over soon, but they could probably still do some. You know, once you're in the system, you find out there's a lot of ways that they can exert their influence either on your behalf or against you. And I, I think that here he's just trying one last pitch, one last uh, one last roll the dice to see if he can get a lesser sentence or I don't know, but what a, what a slimy guy. Um, and a guy that was at one point, I was told this by people that firsthand had conversations with him, but one point thought he was going to be white house chief of staff. That's pretty astonishing folks. Um, now he's going to prison for a few years. And unlike some of the other people that got caught up in the special counsel, I mean, Cohen was actually a dirty guy. And he, you know, he flipped on Trump. And one part of this that I also think gets skipped over far too quickly is that even with Michael Cohen, the personal lawyer to the president of the United States, having his office raided, having his wife threatened with prosecution just so they had they had him completely flattened out. No, no uh, willingness to resist whatsoever. He'll tell them anything they want to know. They had all that. They had the president's lawyer flip, and they still don't have anything on him. This is like when I talk about the Russia collusion thing, and people say, oh, well, they couldn't prosecute Trump. It's not just Trump. They couldn't prosecute anybody for Russia collusion. 
They couldn't prosecute Papadopoulos or Carter Page or Manafort or anybody for because it didn't happen. They flipped Cohen against Trump. Everyone seems to just just skip right past this. I think it's a big deal. They 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 seized this lawyer's records, which is a big deal for the DOJ to do. And the best they can come up with is as his lawyer, this guy says that he didn't advise him the the proper way to deal with a campaign finance contribution. I mean, give me a break. That's the best they could do. I mean, how how am I the only one who doesn't realize how crazy this is? Maybe Trump's actually not this you know, evil law-breaking maniac that the press thinks he is. Oh, is, is that possible? His lawyer flipped on him, and he, they still have nothing. Still. Lawyer flipped and was begging for mercy. Would have done anything. Would have, would have fed Trump to the media with a spoon if he could have. And they got nothing. They got nothing. You know, Tom Arnold is now pretending to be his buddy. I mean, what a pathetic circumstance. But Michael Cohen, see you later, dude. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly neat and out. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. Some of the suicide bombers, most of them are well educated um, and come from maybe middle or upper middle class. Is it confirmed that the ninth suicide bomber was a woman? Yes, yes. Whether she was trained, I cannot say at the moment, but uh, she definitely did uh, commit suicide by blasting a, a jacket. Additional information coming in in the aftermath of the horrific terrorist attacks in Sri Lanka. As I go to air, at least 359 people have been killed and over 500 wounded, and some of the wounded may not survive. That number of dead may go even higher. Already analysts are saying that this uh, could be and, and is, based on the numbers so far, the single biggest terrorist attack ever by the Islamic State in terms of casualties. The Islamic State has claimed credit for this strike, what do we know about the situation right now, and what does this tell us going forward? We're joined by Chris Gobbitz now. He's a national security consultant, and the book Muslim Mafia was written about an undercover operation he was a part of dealing with the Muslim Brotherhood. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on, Bob. Glad to be here. So tell me, what do you, what do you make, and what, what's important to you about now that the, we have some information about the, the attackers, the Islamic State, has said that they were, you know, that they were uh, fighters for the Islamic State. In fact, we have some audio of the ISIS fighters who are all claiming fealty, swearing bayat to uh, Abu Bakr al Baghdadi. But what what do you make of all this? Well, first off, when the, when the Islamic State uh, puts something out like this on their Amal media network, uh, to me, it already lends credibility because, with very few exceptions, the Islamic State doesn't uh, claim these attacks willy nilly. Uh, that being said, it, it, I would not be surprised at all if it was. Every indication right now is that it is an Islamic State attack. And what this really does in the, in the world of Sharia, which is the blueprint by which all these jihadi groups operate, uh, success breeds success when it comes to recruiting. So this was a, an incredibly prominent attack uh, against Christians. It was a prominent jihad attack, and they will be able to use this to further recruit individuals and other Sunni jihadi groups around the world to, uh, as you said, to make uh, buyout or pledge allegiance to the Islamic State. What's your 
your assessment of, of how it was that the, I mean, Sri Lankan security services, just from a technological and resources standpoint, are not going to be anywhere near as sophisticated as a lot of other state security services. We, we know that. But the Sri Lankan services have been dealing with terrorism, insurgency, and, and all kinds of uh, really intense violence for a long time. Until about 10 years ago, they were in the midst of a, of a civil war. The Tamil Tigers became a very well-known terrorist group. Uh, why do you think they missed this when the reports that I've seen say that they had information, including names and addresses of possible terrorists? Yeah, this is this is a really big embarrassment for them. You know, first off, when we've seen I've seen reports as up to um, uh, 60 people that have been arrested in, in relation to this attack. Well, where did they come up with those 60 people if they didn't within days, if they didn't already have names day, uh, and addresses? Uh, this is a, a huge embarrassment for them, and it's also a, a failure on their part. But we have our own correlation with that here in America, and that would have been the Boston bombers attack. I mean, we, we had credible intelligence from Russian intel um, uh, about the uh, the Boston bombers, and, and our own FBI was actually conducting outreach uh, to the mosque that they attended. So um, while it's certainly different scenarios, we we really have a, a very similar problem here in America and in the West in general. When we get credible reports of these um, potential jihadis, we have our own political political correctness narrative that we have to overcome to initiate preliminary investigations because the last thing that the DOJ wants to look like uh, is that they're um, – is that they're Islamophobic, and so uh, so there's this real tightrope that you have that our uh, agencies are walking, where they're getting information, but to move on it, uh, we have groups like the Muslim Brotherhood here in the United States, uh, groups like CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, that would deem opening an investigation based off uh, reports that these guys were were going to commit a jihad attack as Islamophobic, and so um, again, I don't want to make too many correlations there. I just want to remind people that. We 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 put ourselves in a box many times on these issues when we get credible information. Chris Gobbitz, everybody, national security consultant, and also check out the book Muslim Mafia, which is about an operation that was uh, he was a, a part of at the center of. Chris, really appreciate your time today, sir. Thanks for sharing your expertise. Oh, no problem. Thank you. All right, team, we'll get into a roll call here in just a moment. So uh, stay with me. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. That is my favorite Roll Call intro. I I do think that is the best one. That is numero uno for me. Although some some of you have become... Dubstep, folks, I know. You've learned that the dubstep is also a thing. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton to send me your roll call thoughts. Who knows? Maybe you're even a lead actor in a random Hollywood film that I will be talking about on the show, and you will hear me talking about it, and then we will set up a fantastic interview with you because that's how we roll in the Freedom Hut. Crazy things happen here. It's a wild place. It's a wild place. Jeff, first up in roll call today. Buck, it's Jeff from South Carolina. Original Saturday Squad. Some songs to consider when it comes to 70s music. London Calling, The Clash. That's a great song. Carry On, Wayward Son, Kansas. I don't know that one. The Boys Are Back in Town. 
More Than a Feeling, Boston. I like that one. Dream On, Aerosmith. I think Aerosmith's a little overrated. Uh, I don't dislike, don't yell at me. I don't dislike Aerosmith. I just think Aerosmith is not, their longevity's incredible. I don't think they have the greatest songs of any, you know, of rock band. I'm just putting it out there. Highway to Hell, ACDC. I mean, I think Back in Black is better than Highway to Hell, personally. You really got me, Van Halen. Um, I think you have to go with Jump is the best. And actually, no, not Jump. Um, How Do I Know When It's Love? I think that's the best Van Halen song, in my opinion. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm blowing up all kinds of conventional wisdom. That's what we do in the Freedom Hub. We blow up the conventional wisdom. And then Jeff writes, I personally am an 80s fan, but the 70s were not completely devoid of good music. Awesome show as always. Shields high, Jeff. Well, Jeff, thank you so much, man. And, and I I, uh, I agree with basically all of your recommendations and suggestions. So we are we are kindred spirits in that regard. Uh, Steven writes, well, he sent me a link, so that's not going to be a good roll call thing. Chadwick Right. Hey, Buck, I just wanted to give you a heads up on a brand new Papadopoulos interview you might find interesting. He gives a very candid recollection of some of the very bizarre interactions he had with Joseph Mifsud and Alexander Downer. Might be the most compelling evidence I've heard that members of U.S. intelligence were without a doubt coordinating with foreign allies who spy on and frame a member of the Trump campaign. In my humble opinion, it completely destroys the FBI's narrative that Papadopoulos was what kicked off the entire Russia investigation. Since the Mueller investigation is over, I think Papadopoulos is being much more candid than in previous interviews with the details of his contacts. Long, but definitely worth a listen. Well, I will give it a listen. You know, I've spoken to Papadopoulos a couple of times before, and I I do think that he was set up. I think that he was um, unfairly... uh, ambushed by i think foreign allies of the you know of the united states government under the obama administration that were working to create a pretext for an investigation into trump one thing that i really can't tell you in this whole russia collusion mess one thing i don't have a true answer for at this point is did the original whoever it was did the original deep staters believe that Trump was really conspiring with Russia, or did they cynically view it from the beginning as an opportunity to investigate, undermine, and in their minds, uh, possibly even subvert and destroy the Trump campaign? I know some of you are going to say, oh, Buck, they definitely didn't believe. Some of them strike me as true believers. You know, I, I think that that doesn't mean they're any less wrong and they're any and, and what they did is any less wrong. But I do think that there are some instances of people that you have to look at and say, you know, I think John Brennan really lost it. I think that Trump broke him. I don't think that that's just an act that he puts on where he says, oh, it's basically treason. I think he believes Trump was a traitor. Well, maybe he did believe Trump was a traitor, which speaks to one, how Obama's favorite counterterrorism advisor is a loon. So that's one thing you have to remember. And then also that the people I've said this to you many times on the show, although not recently. So perhaps it's worth a a quick uh, look back and or a, a quick review. It is very hard to get 
these kinds of jobs in government, things like CIA director and, you know, you got to really thread the needle, have the right connections. That doesn't mean that the people who get them are very good at the job or really at anything. They're just usually connected and in the right place in the right time. Uh, a lot of them are just political contacts. Sometimes they're just lawyers that happen to know somebody who's in charge in the White House. You know, that's all it really takes. So don't be impressed by, oh, this person was, were they a good CIA director or were they there for a year and basically went to a bunch of cocktail parties? You know, were they in any way pushing U.S. national security interests that we could all agree was what they were doing or were they just mouthing off a lot and being a partisan? I mean, it's, you know, it really, really depends. Casey writes, hey, Buck, nice big trouble in little China quote. Give us your best verbal defense or example a person can use to explain how why a large uh, corporation pays little or no taxes at the end of the year. Do the do they pay taxes in product and sales throughout the year or is there another way that they pay taxes? Also, does a company's charitable donation amount to have a lot uh, charitable donation amounts have a lot to do with their tax exemptions? Always listening and always shields high. Much love from Washington Casey of the United States Marine Corps. Casey, um, thank you for your service. And, you know, I I think that it's wrong that corporations don't pay taxes. Uh, And if you're asking me what the argument is, the argument is that they have an army of accountants and lawyers who know how to use loopholes. And the the reason the tax code is 70,000 pages is so that there's a lot of social engineering and cronyism and, you know, payoffs, essentially contained in the tax code and no one ever figures out or goes to the trouble of knowing what they are except the people that benefit from them that's why the tax code is seventy thousand pages okay that is the reason the tax code in this country is corrupt it is not fair it is not right we should not just say oh well that's the way it is so that's the way it it, it should be uh, i think that the tax code should be a page long i think a, a massive simplification of the tax code would bring about tremendous benefits i mean i had to take a a an extension this year on my tax returns because there's so much crap I had to deal with. It's just ridiculous. And I had to send a big check to the government on tax day. I hate it. I hate it. I want to go full Ron Swanson and just get off the grid entirely. But then I can't do my radio show. And if I do my radio show, then the tax man can find me. If a tax man can find me and I haven't paid my taxes, I get into trouble. So it's a vicious circle. Adam. Hey, Buck. Why are you apologizing for loving Big Trouble in Little China? Not everyone loves it, sure, but it's a cult classic. And Egg Shen is my favorite depiction of a crazy old wizard. And Lo Pan is a terrifying bad guy. The three wins are amazing. You love what you love. Shields high. You know, Adam, I, I do really like that movie. I still remember my parents. I vaguely remember my parents taking me to it a long time ago. And it was a great cinematic experience uh, when it came out. I really, I really did enjoy it. I, I think Big Trouble in Little China is a fun, fun movie. I just wish there were more of those creative, fun movies that, you know, do, do we really have to watch? I just saw this today. You know, the Avengers Part 10 or whatever is coming out. These Avengers movies stink. They stink. I know. Get mad at me. Tell me. You, you can enjoy whatever you want. That's fine. I'm telling you, though, they're just big, noisy CGI messes meant for the international market where it's really just all a visual with with explosions. There's no plot. There's no dialogue. There's no storyline. It's just, you know, boom, bang, bing, boom, bam, you know, and then Iron Man and the Hulk are like fighting or something. It's just it's just nonsense. 
It's just nonsense. Richard. Uh, I had this realization the other day about Osama bin Laden. Hmm, interesting, Richard. His mistake was that he hid out in Pakistan where our government could get to him. He should have done, uh, what he should have done is gone to Mexico, illegally enter the U.S., and take up residence in San Francisco. Richard, ha-ha. <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate the effort, buddy. I appreciate the effort. Uh, Andrew, I very rarely play Facebook, so we're going back in time for some of this. Your John Kasich impersonation sounds like Stewie Griffin's clone. Could be spot on for all I know, because I never paid attention to that clown Kasich. I listened to the podcast the morning after on iHeart. All the complaining about the trans ad was due to a promo iHeart was running for a podcast called Committed. Its first committed promos were aggressively transnormative. Lastly, for now, you labeled a left-wing nutter's catastrophist last night. I think a more accurate term, this is about climate change stuff, is hysteriocrats, but I get the link to Alinsky with catastrophe. From Ronald Reagan is going to start a nuclear war to selected, not elected, to orange man bad, the incessant push to work up a general hysteria, thus making the populace easier to control, has been the sine qua non of the totalitarian left in this country. Thanks for doing your part to deconstruct the Goebbels machinery we're constantly bombarded by. Shields high, Andrew. And people listen to this show are the smartest people that listen to any show anywhere. It's true. I'm, this, is, this is scientific fact. The listeners to the Bucks Action Show are the smartest listeners to any show ever anywhere. So I'm just, I'm just glad we're establishing that because it is a fact. You know, hashtag science, hashtag audience metrics. People write into this and I'm like, this is this is something that we could put in a in a political science magazine, except it's way more interesting than what you see in most political science magazines. And that's just coming into my Facebook feed all the time. All right. Closing up the show for today, team. I know it's go time for all of you and for me, but I'm excited to talk to you tomorrow. You know what that means. Same time, same place. And of course, shields high.